0: This is part two of a conversation between Doraka Larimore Hall and myself, Dick Flax. In part one, we began to talk about the takeaways from our podcast so far. We've talked about the strategies of rising groups like Justice Democrats, Sunrise, DSA, and others to challenge establishment Democrats in primary races And then we went on to talk about the need for the rising generation of progressives to claim their identities as Democrats, build the party at the grassroots, run for office at every level, challenge the corporate lobbies.
1: I think Justice Democrats, at least on that electoral piece, is really starting to build the scaffolding that the Progressive Caucus wasn't able to do in the past. And that's exciting. Um, but other organizations like Sunrise, um, they don't only they're not only interested in primary bad Democrats. They've um, also, you know, been very important for defending good Democrats. Um, uh-huh. uh, right. So it's it. But it's still, in, you know, and similar to these other folks, there's they are focused on, you know, whether it's the U.S. Senate or the U.S. House, um, you know, and then on a state level. Uh, where there's where there's good organization, there's there's this kind of effort happening in terms of the state legislatures. But these are all interventions to help shape who the party in government is for the Democrats. And, and I think something you said is so important that you can think about that same work as inside the Democratic Party or outside of the Democratic Party and I feel like that self-conception makes a huge difference. In my mind, that's all inside the Democratic Party work. Sure. You know, the fight over who, who are going to be the elected Democrats is inside the party. And it's just as legitimate for AOC to be out there campaigning for particular Democrats as it is for, you know, I don't know, who, whoever else. Obama to be out trying to um, put his thumb on the scale to support certain Democrats. It's just like that's life inside a a, a grown-up political party. Um, and it's fine. Uh, so, but there's still so much, and when you start to look at organizations like the WFP and sort of modern DSA, as I think David really articulately David taught us, David Duhalde, that there is... There is this other kind of politics there that's like we're is convinced that they're building something that is not the Democratic Party, that's outside of the Democratic Party. And really it isn't. Uh, And and so to me, the next step, the step two, after you're figuring out how to intervene in primaries or in Canada is to also think about the tens of thousands of elected positions in the United States. Thousands just here in California, literally thousands of positions that are elected without any party primary, where where people are just elected first past the post, um, in, you know, to single-member districts of city councils, county boards of supervisors, you know, water boards, school boards, all of this, and and that's where. Um, The decision of whether you're going to organize as the Democrats or progressive Democrats or as Greens or as independents or as people for good neighborhood puppies and kittens really makes a difference for what kind of power you're building, what kind of institution you're building for the long run. Um, And it's where, I, you know, for example, I think the work that we've done here in Santa Barbara, where we invested a lot of energy in making the Democratic Party the progressive platform to vet candidates and generate candidates and hold elected uh, officials accountable is a, is like a really powerful model. Um, And, and when you self-conceptualize yourself as something other than Democrats, you leave all of that, those possibilities behind. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I
0: don't know, you know more than me about this long history, but it was part of the capital P progressive movement of the early 20th century to have nonpartisan electoral uh, processes mm-hmm. at the local level in California um, and I don't think the Republicans when in my experience ever ever were nonpartisan mm-hmm. in local elections they they were always trying to right. uh, throw their weight around so the, the emergence in in our county under your uh, influence and leadership uh, was to, as you said, build build a, a process in which the, the party could endorse candidates for these putatively nonpartisan races. And many of those people who did get elected that way have gone on. You know, they they've become part of the uh, stable of progressive. Uh, oriented candidates, environmentally oriented candidates, not only locally, but moving on into uh, the state legislature and so forth. And meanwhile, the you know, there's certainly clarity in this county that these races involve, uh, you know, party-style differences, ideological differences that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're saying almost is like a call to young people. There's thousands of offices that... Uh, can be uh, entered into, not just for your own political advancement, but as part of, a, of this larger dynamic of civic engagement, progressive civic engagement that we are, I think, seeing right now uh, and, and are trying to document in our in our conversation. Um,
1: yeah. Run for something, but run for something as part of something.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, think of yourself, you know, and, and, and build that something if it's not there already in, in the area that you're there. Um, So the idea that people will do good by simply running for office was never very rational because nothing can happen in politics by individual action alone. But um, now there's maybe more potential than there's been for collective, locally based collective uh, organization that connects with uh, things that are happening nationally as well. Let me just add one point on this about the national impact of the progressive uh, process we've been talking about. Uh, There's probably a number of reasons why the Biden administration has endorsed essentially a New Deal agenda in policy terms, not just a Green New Deal, but a FDR-type New Deal uh, agenda. Uh, much more so than I think people would have predicted, you know, a year ago or more, uh, as as the uh, as as the as the agenda of the Democratic administration. But part of that certainly has to do with the rise of the progressive side of things in Congress, and you know, and the Sanders, Warren type efforts feeding into it, and people who uh, Warren and Sanders supported for government office have been appointed to those offices the 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 media keep noticing now the power of the progressive wing of the party already and that's only the last three or four months that you could even imagine that that would be the case I think I don't want to over dramatize that because there are many barriers and pitfalls that, that we're going to face but you know I like to think that some of what we advocate is actually being validated by by what's happening. Absolutely. So we've periodically, in our conversations with ourselves and with others, raised, though, the California story as a further problem, not just a, a good news story. The, the good news is how the Democratic Party is now the absolutely dominant governing party statewide in terms of, you know, seats in the legislature, uh, statewide offices and um, the Republican Party still has strength in certain regions of the state but um, is is very much uh, very badly weakened compared to any history. In fact independent registrations considerably greater than Republican Party registration in California. Right. They're the third party. They're the third party. So um, However, uh, we've talked, and we talked to Monique Limon, our state senator from Santa Barbara, a rising figure in the state legislature, uh, about the problem of what gets to be called corporate Democrats in office. Uh, In the absence of a Republican Party, it it appears that corporate lobbies uh, have decided they should invest in the Democratic Party. And, some of the considerable number of people in the legislature were Democrats, nevertheless, uh, are allied with such corporate lobbies, whether they're the, the fossil fuel oil industry in certain areas, the ag, big agriculture, real estate uh, lobby. Um, and this means that simply winning the electoral battle for in the name of the party is only step one, or step two. in in the in the underpants search. There, there's right. there's the fact that we live in a, um, a class structured society with class based power relations that are not simply done away with by uh, electing Democrats, to say the least.
1: <laughs> yeah, and a and a and a racist society and a yes. sexist one. Okay. And, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great framing in that. You know, California demonstrates the limits of an only partisan perspective. Exactly as you said, if the goal of politics is to elect more people who are members of, affiliated with, registered with the Democratic Party, then we've like done most of our job in California. Um, some still some work to do at the local level. Uh, but we've, you know, taken over the entire state legislature with. Super majorities and control every statewide elected office, so you know why why even bother <laughs> doing anything. But but exactly as you say, like the the politics of left and right, the politics of the environment versus uh, greed, the politics of um, uh, you know of, of criminal justice reform versus uh, you know a lack of police accountability. Functionally, those. Those fights happen within the Democratic Party. And so in then it becomes incumbent of, like, where do the fights happen or where are the levers for moving the left side, the progressive side of those fights? And in California, and this is not typical, but in California, the party itself makes endorsements in every kind of election. And this is important because the party also in California doesn't control a ballot line in any kind of election. And what I mean by that is that whether it's a a top two election for the governor. So if the top two vote getters for the governor are both Republicans, then we vote in the general election between two Republicans or two Democrats. And that's true of everything from the legislative level up. And then everything from the county level and down is all, Nominally nonpartisan. So, you know, anybody can run and say they're a Democrat or say they're a Republican and have whatever politics. Um, so, but what the party is allowed to do in California that it isn't allowed to do everywhere is to say that a candidate in one of those races is officially supported by the Democratic Party. And while that endorsement doesn't mean you automatically win, it doesn't mean you automatically are the best or any of those things. It does matter. I mean, it does political scientists, Seth Maskett and others have shown that it is a an independently powerful endorsement. Um, And so that's a point of leverage for activists to be like, let's make sure that the party endorses progressives, not only for office, but progressive positions in the all important statewide ballot measures and local propositions that we have. All of that gives a role for the party structure, the formal mechanisms for making those endorsements that don't exist everywhere. Um, and that's where a fight can happen about whether the party is going to be on the side of a corporate Democrat or a progressive Democrat. And then in addition to that, of course, there's the the platform and resolutions and official positions of the Democratic Party uh, in, in California, Um that in theory, right, our candidates are supposed to support. And I would say if there's a mistake that we've been making on the left in California for a while, I think it's been, you know, emphasizing the fights over the the platform and the resolutions and those official positions and not emphasizing having more power and influence over those endorsement fights. Um, And... Uh, And then backing up the endorsements when we win them for progressives, backing them up with effective campaign plans that can actually, um, you know, win the general election. So it is an interesting case study in that it's both a more grassroots controlled party in some senses than in other states, but it is a structurally and legally very weak party um not controlling the nomination process for the general election in really any of the electoral levels yeah and I don't
0: know that we know uh, uh, enough uh I mean you and me per se but also uh, anyone who wants to be activists about uh, how power can be uh you know what what resources are needed to win some of these battles I'm thinking that there are g- cases that probably need much more study. For example, the corporate agenda around charter schooling, I would say a few years ago, that looked mm-hmm. very powerful. Well, the teachers union really did mobilize effectively, and they um, uh, you know, there's a whole story there that might really be very instructive to study, not only in this case of, of uh, educational policy, but more mm-hmm. broadly. How is a corporate agenda um, overcome, maybe not forever, but certainly Certainly uh, significantly, uh, um, by organizing by the unions, teachers' union efforts, connecting with parent groups? Uh, I'm not sure I can even put together how it worked, but... Um, included an electoral strategy, getting the right people in, in state,
1: including an electoral strategy, and also including an internal Democratic Party strategy uh-huh. of fighting and making sure within all of the Democratic Party structures that charter school support is a problem, and that yeah. Yeah. that's that's a uh, a renegade position, so to speak, and that kind of you know that's a really good example, I think, of why working to move the consensus of the Democratic Party to the left uh-huh. is worthwhile because it's it's it has really disempowered the pro charter school movement um, in California. Uh, not obviously it hasn't completely eliminated it, but where nationally the, the charter school industry was really looking to California as, you know, its its vanguard um and had a lot of support from Democrats uh, at the national level including you know Obama and his administration so it it the fact that's that right. um in 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 places like Sacramento this came to a head in fights between Democrats at the city level at the local level yeah um I think would be a great that'd be a really great story for someone to get in and 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 really tell in a in a blow-by blow way so uh, that's one example and it's, uh... But
0: maybe right now one of the deeply problematic examples has to do with um, the housing crisis, uh, and um, that's also within the you know, the real estate lobby, so to speak, has been always uh, historically allied with the Democratic Party. Uh, it's not it's not a new factor, um, and I think what we both agree on, but maybe don't know how it would work in detail, is the party itself could be a framework for hashing out, fighting out uh, what the appropriate uh, egalitarian housing program should be. The current uh, tendency is to think that incentives uh, have to be provided to the private developer um class <laughs> to uh enable them to build quote unquote affordable housing and largely that's probably a a a mythical uh that it's not a hypothesis that can be that will bear fruit um about how to create the housing that's needed uh we need social housing we need sub- subsidized housing we need publicly uh supported housing we need co-op housing uh and that and how to create that remains unknown you know in terms of actual legislation yeah not to mention we've made some progress in tenant rights and tenants and at least emergency uh, measures that support tenant needs we'll see where that goes but um you know m- one of my things i've been saying but i don't know quite how to implement it is maybe the party is can serve as a um, space within which intra-party policy debates can actually happen, uh, and and arriving then at a uh, outcome that uh, would be then as you, as in the case of charter schools, a, a way of influencing the direction of what happens. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's uh, and there are probably a bunch of issues that are divisions between the labor movement and environmentalists uh, always that tension is remains a, an important part of the dynamic
1: I agree I, I would you know there's a missing opportunity with the Democratic Party part of the tragedy of the Democratic Party is that if you go to a party convention or a county party picnic you know and in any of these gatherings of the official, membership, activist membership of the Democratic Party, just as you say, you're gonna see, you know, very committed environmentalists standing next to officials and activists from, you know, building trades unions, standing next to people from public sector unions, teachers, um, and and, you know, although it often reflects this the segregation of of uh, the community, the party also reflects the diversity of the community and the democratic base. And so um, there's no political spaces, voluntary political spaces I've ever been in the United States that have been as diverse and representative as the democratic party, uh-huh. certainly not environmentalist ones or DSA or any of the other kinds of groups. Um, so there's this opportunity for our dialogue, debate, discussion, um, cross fertilization. Um, you have, thousands of elected officials across California that are members of the Democratic Party, um, and only the most rudimentary forms of communication between them about policy. So there's this whole set of opportunities that um, for, yeah, policy debate and discussion per se, just for their own sake, um, that we don't take up and I and I agree. the The difficult thing, of course, in American politics is how do you translate, the results of those discussions into actual policy. If we were in a, a a country with a with a parliamentary system and a you know I'd say a more rational electoral system, right? The the that line is very clear. The party gets together, they come up with a platform, a program. Then they pick some candidates to go into the field running on that platform. And if they get elected, that's the platform they'll try to implement. I'm oversimplifying, but more or less that's the system. Uh-huh. Here in the U.S., it's not that. Um, we The party comes up with a platform, then people self-nominate and go and run for offices and win. And if they want to, they could look at the platform. So I would say to start to get to that, a little summary of what's in that missing piece of the of the uh, underpants gnomes philosophy, that missing piece for, for the left in the United States has to be Simultaneously building the Democratic Party as its own thing with its own power in American politics while moving the politics of that party to the left. Mm-hmm. And and I think the why we should do that is that a politics that's completely uh, dependent on individuals getting elected and being righteous and being good is always a politics of uh, of of division, it's a politics of individual agendas. It's a politics of transactional deal making. Um, even at at its best, if you read, you know, great histories of periods of good progressive change in the United States, the role of individual, the powerful individual politician is a really ambivalent one.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: what we should be, as a left, trying to do is make American politics more issue based more political, more rational, more collective by replacing this system of all-powerful politicians putting together the coalition they want after the fact, one in which we build an organization that can have a set of policy goals, can recruit candidates based on those policy goals, go out to the electorate and elect those candidates based on those policy goals, and then if the elected official doesn't follow those policy goals then in the next election they'll go and find somebody else that that building that kind of operation whether it's in your medium-sized college town uh in the middle of pennsylvania or a beach resort community full of class struggle like here in santa barbara um (laughs) or south central los angeles like wherever you are i think figuring out how to make those things happen um you know, inside and as Democrats is that missing piece of our strategy. Um, and I think DSA has absolutely a huge role to play and could could do that as part of its activism. Sunrise, the WFP, Justice Democrat, like we can all play a role in building that while also doing the other things, um, advancing the other, you know, policy priorities or... Um, or, or influencing the debate or moving the Overton window, um, um, however we feel like uh, it, it is important for our constituencies. But the common work should be about, you know, <laughs> being the party we want to see in the world, making the Democratic Party into a people's party, meaning a party that elects people and holds those people accountable collectively. And that, the downside of that, so to speak, for, for progressives is that, it means not having the sort of security or purity of being in a perfect organization. It means taking that leap to be saying like, Hey, I'm a Democrat. And yes, that means that I'm in the same organization as Nancy Pelosi and, you know, Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or whoever your shibboleth is of like a bad Democrat. Um, But it, it also means being in the same organization as Fannie Lou Hamer and, uh and Michael Harrington and you know and probably more importantly like millions and millions of regular people in this country who identify the Democratic Party with the the New Deal and the civil rights movement and that's where we should be that's a beautiful uh summative uh sermon <laughs> so I didn't mean to get up on a soapbox just got on a little roll <laughs> no no it's
0: good i mean we're looking at a looking at how to bring something to a conclusion so so, uh if you feel you, the listener, um, that there are loose ends, that's not a very hard thing to feel. uh we We don't claim to have uh in in the in the weeks that we've been doing this, uh, found uh, the full answer. But we hope that I mean, I think our goal from the beginning has been to engage people in thinking through these matters in a strategic fashion, not just what's morally seems right or wrong or what fits your ideological preconceptions uh, but uh, you know what what we need to be able to get from here to there from wanting those underpants and <laughs> controlling them. <laughs> um, and And, um, this is only season one you know we we've got years ahead of us, right both of and do you us want to tease really. up season two for the listeners? You and I have discussed that we both have some ideas about quote unquote socialism <laughs> that might be a good framing for what we want to do in season two uh and Let's put it this way: strategy remains our one of our goals. Thinking strategically, uh, and from that point of view, uh, examining uh, the current meanings of what the word socialism means. I have to. I mean, I would say this: that the new left that I was part of in the sixties we abandoned the term, and that would be one thing I'd like to talk about why that happened. And what does it mean that that it, the term has been so revived, and that the Democratic Socialists of America have uh, become? You know, they're they're honing in on a hundred thousand members. Mm-hmm. No socialist groups had that size for generations in this country. That's fascinating. So that that's probably right. That's what you have in mind too. Absolutely,
1: sounds the, fun next season.
0: Yeah, um, but meanwhile, we we're not hearing enough from people who have been listening. Uh, and, um, I hope that we can get some feedback, not only good job guys, but more importantly, uh, taking on some of our points, uh, raising questions that we haven't raised, challenging some of what we've done. We'd love to get that kind of response from people. Uh, we have a Facebook page, talking strategy, making history, Facebook page, which might be a good place for comments to be put in.
1: If there's a, a particular question or a uh, an angle that we didn't hit that you'd like us to engage with, yeah, feel free to, to give us some feedback. Um, we'd love for this to be a dialogue. People that we should be talking to, and there are people who are
0: listening who think they should be on the show. Well, let us know if you think that about yourself.
1: Yes, and probably people out there you think should hear this show, so feel free yeah. to share the podcast yeah. with others. What is the thing yeah. I'm supposed to say now um, every time I talk to another human being, like hit like and subscribe. Um, This is the new normal. Um, But uh, it's been a a pleasure uh, getting into the weeds on the Democratic Party this season. Looking forward to talking about socialism and its discontents next season. Thanks so much, Dick.
0: Thank you, Daraka, for educating me uh, and uh, our listeners and for your persistent determination to create the People's Party. Hey. All right. Sounds good.